Welcome back to the Read the Bible podcast. Today we're going to be reading James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so James, Jesus' little brother, starts talking about uh, what causes fights within us. It says that our passions are at war within you, our desires. We desire and do not have. So we murder. Buddhism, the goal there, Buddhism recognizes this. This is just an observation, a uh, philosophical observation that you know anybody can make. Uh, Buddhists realize that desires cause so much unhappiness and so Buddhists, their goal is to get rid of all desire, whether good or bad. It's to achieve a sort of a status of just ambivalence. If we don't have desires, then we won't be acting out in negative ways to try to get the things we desire. If we don't have desires, we won't be disappointed when those desires are, don't come to be fulfilled. And so, yeah, just kind of a strange thing if you talk with somebody who's a Buddhist, and uh, they're going to be consistent with their the teachings of Buddhism. You know, uh, we shouldn't desire, according to the teachings of Buddhism, we shouldn't desire good things for, say, our children or the ones we love. In fact, love itself is uh, could be a, a negative desire. Um, and so Christianity, we would not say that all desire is bad, but what we would say is that uh, fleshly desires are bad. Godly desires are great. Um, we should have deep desire, deep desire for the things of God. Um, and we'll flip over to Galatians chapter 5, 17 real quick. And what Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 says is that, uh, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so there's these fleshly desires, these sinful desires, these desires that we shouldn't have. Um, you know, when our neighbor comes home with a nicer car and we start desiring uh, unsatisfied with what God has given us, and we start coveting that unhealthy desire for what our neighbor has. Um, those are desires which do lead to sin. Um, there's a lot of desires that we should have, the desire to see people come to know the Lord, the desire to be with the Lord, um, the desire to follow Jesus. Those are, I mean, there's tons of great desires. Obviously, those are just some of them. And so James is saying, you know, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Essentially, what he's talking about, they're the desires of the flesh. They're at war within us with the desires of the spirit. And so when we're looking at how to apply that to our own life, um, what are our desires? How are we keeping our desires in check? Not every desire we were born with that comes naturally to us is to be followed. And so how are we keeping our desires in check? Reading the Word is a way that we can keep our desires in check, making sure that we're um, repenting of those evil desires, um, submitting our, looking to submit our hearts to God more and more. And the more we do, um, the more we submit our desires to God, then the less we'll sin. The more we desire the Lord, the less we'll sin. Um, again, we'll never be perfect. We're always sinners. But the more that we submit our hearts to the Lord and desire the things of God, then the less that sin will creep up in our lives. And so Jesus, a little brother James, goes from talking about the sinful desires which cause the quarreling in our lives and in our communities, 
and he moves forward and starts talking about why we don't have. We desire, we have these desires, and we don't have the fulfillment of these desires because we're not asking. And of course, you think about James, Jesus' little brother, who would be very familiar with Jesus' teachings. James talking about asking echoes Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. So James says you don't have because you don't ask. James says ask, right? Ask then. Jesus says ask. And so James, Jesus' little brother, goes from talking about what causes the fights among us, the selfish desires which cause us to quarrel and fight, and he goes from there to talking about why we do not have. We do not have those fulfillments to our desires because we're not asking. You do not have because you do not ask. And of course, James, Jesus' little brother, familiar with Jesus' teachings, as you read through James, it's like James has just sat down and read Matthew chapters 5 through 7 um, because of how James' teaching just echoes Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 through 7. And so when James says you do not have because you do not ask, obviously what's implied there is ask. Ask God. Spend time in prayer. It's so important. And in Matthew chapter 7, 7, Jesus says, says ask and it will be given to you. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Listen to Jesus and, and ask. And then, of course, we wonder, well, I've asked a lot and I haven't gotten what I've asked for. Well, James says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We're asking when we pray and we ask for our selfish desires and we do not receive. Well, that's the problem. A lot of our prayers should be about our hearts, not about getting our selfish desires, but transforming our hearts to desire what God desires. If we want to see God move in our life, we need to change our prayers to begin praying for what God desires and praying in the Holy Spirit. When we sit there and reflect on what God is doing in our life or what's happening in our life, uh, we can certainly pray for godly things, right? Like, Lord, deliver me from this suffering. That's a wonderful prayer. The disciples, they suffered, they died for their faith. I'm sure they prayed many times that they would be freed from that suffering. But it was God's will for them to suffer in that way to spread the gospel. And so, sort of like Jesus, as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, verse 32 and on, you know, not my will, but yours be done, God. God's got a bigger plan. He's got ways he wants to use us. And so we can pray for relief from the suffering because that is godly. In heaven there will be no suffering. And that's where we're headed. So it's a godly prayer. But God, in this time in between, in between where he created the world with no suffering, in between where the world will once end up, will soon end up with no suffering, in this in-between time where there is suffering in the world and God does allow it, then we can pray for its removal, but we should also be praying like, God, what do you want to do in me through this? And as we pray, we'll see both types of prayers answered in our life if we're praying according to God's will. We'll have both types of prayer answered. There are times where that suffering will be removed, that miracle will be given. I love those stories in my life for the congregation when people come to me and say, God has provided this great job where I've been praying for people and praying and praying and praying and then God delivers them into a great situation that provides or is much more um, in line with their gifts and skills or someone's health, uh, you know, they've been uh, received healing. I mean, those are just the, the greatest stories. I know there was a time where we had someone who had stage four cancer in their chest and they were opened up in the surgery um, they weren't even able to remove all the cancer, and they sewed that person back up with cancer still in them. That's usually a death sentence, and we prayed and prayed and prayed. 
and that person is still alive today. Praise God. It's so fun to hear those stories. And sometimes we'll see God answering our prayer like that. We'll ask and we'll receive because God in his infinite wisdom, his will lined up with our desires for our health, for our provision, for our comfort. That will happen. But if we pray according to God's will, we'll see a whole lot of other types of prayers answered. Prayer is not just about changing the world to the way that we want it. It's about changing our hearts to the way God wants it. Prayer isn't just about changing the world to the way that we want it. It's about God changing our hearts to the way he wants them. And as we pray, as we see that maybe our, our prayers for our comfort, our, our healing, you know, very important prayers, those prayers are not being answered, and we broaden our focus. God, what do you want to do through this? What type of person are you trying to create in me? God is trying to create people who love him. God is growing people who love him in this world. And when we ask, how, God, can I love you more through this? We'll see God moving in all types of ways. One of the ways that's just so simple that I think we tend to overlook is as we experience suffering and evil and rightly attribute that to Satan and remember that God is the opposite, our suffering can remind us of the goodness of God and can teach us of God's goodness and deepen our desire for God. There's a lot of ways that God can really move in our lives through suffering. And when our prayers, which are, you know, selfish, are not answered. Verse 4, James says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And so James lays the smack down, you adulterous people, reminding us that when our desires line up with what the world wants, it's like cheating on God. God created us. He knows what's best. He knows what's right. Our desires should line up with his. His desires are good. Bad desires are the ones of the world that conflict with God's desires. And when our desires line up with the world's desires, we are cheating on God. And it makes ourselves enemies with God. Being an enemy of God is an absolutely frightening prospect. God has enemies. It's those who reject his desires and choose the desires of the world. And you can see how the desires of God are at war with the desires of the world. Jesus teaches, and his teaching is so countercultural, right? Jesus says, be faithful. The world says, break whatever commitments you have in order to find happiness for yourself. The world says, do whatever it takes, you know, gain, acquire, build your kingdom. Jesus says, sacrifice, give, build God's kingdom. It's just so easy to see how the world is at war with God. And then James reminds us that we sinners, selfish sinners, are adulterous, cheating on God. That's a difficult truth. Then he follows it up with God's message of incredible message of love. He does so in verse 5 by quoting the scripture. He's not quoting any specific scripture, but just summarizing the message of scripture in general. He says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. And the message of scripture is that God loves us jealously. 
He does not want to share us with evil. That's a beautiful message. It's so hard as sinners to turn from the desires of the world, to admit those desires in our heart. And when we think about how hard it is to have our desires conform with God's, we feel guilty when we think of how adulterous we are, when it comes to our, how unfaithful we are, when it comes to our relationship with God. But then again, on the other hand, that same thing that makes me feel guilty comes from God's great love. God loves me so much, he does not want to share me with evil. So he sent his son Jesus to take the punishment for my sin, for my adultery, for my selfishness, so that I can be with him forever. So that he doesn't have to share me with evil. If I repent of the evil in my heart, he's going to save me from that. I'm going to go to heaven where there is no evil. God will never have to share me with evil again. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Thank God. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If we want a better prayer life, if we want God to move more in our prayer life, which we all do, if we feel like God isn't moving in our prayer life, then James's answer is to pray better prayers. Submit yourselves to God. Pray for God's will. When we pray better prayers, we'll see God moving more in our life. That job that we're frustrated at, you know, it's okay to pray persistently that God would remove yourself from that situation. God gives us the example in the Gospels of the persistent widow who keeps coming to the judge time after time and finally the judge relents and says, I'm so sick of hearing this widow come to me for help. I'm going to help her. You know, Jesus gives us that example, so persistence is important. But also, as we pray, we shouldn't miss God's will for the situation. Even if the, he does answer our prayers and we are delivered, God still has something for us in that suffering while it's here. And so we shouldn't just pray persistently for that suffering to go away, although we should do that. We should pray for more than that. God, what is your will for me while I'm here? What can I learn? What can I do for you, God? That's just, you know, isn't that great? Our prayers when our prayer lives are bad is usually, God, do something for me. God, do something for me. God, do something for me. Do something for me. That's when we have a bad prayer life. If we want a good prayer life, it's, God, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? That'll be a, a much better prayer life. If you want a better prayer life, pray better prayers. And then the devil fleeing part is, is huge. There is uh, so much shame, condemnation, deception that comes with Satan. I want him out of my life. James says, if we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, the devil will flee from us. So what does that look like? I think uh, I love that passage where it says in the Bible, it says, take every thought captive. I feel like so much of the devil in my life is the thoughts that in my head. My life is actually fantastic, and I think most of ours really are. You know, in this country, we've got more than almost anybody has on the world today and throughout history. We've got more reasons to be happy than almost anybody. But part of the reasons why we're not is the devil. He's just turning these blessings into burdens. He's getting us to focus on what he's doing rather than what God's doing. That's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about doing the gratefulness challenge. I've just been going through every day, thinking of something new every day I'm thankful for. Something new, not the same things, but the new things. Thinking of essentially 365 things that I'm thankful for in my life that God has blessed me with. I want the devil out of my life. I've got so many reasons to be happy. 
And here James says, if I resist him, he'll flee from us. And so what does that look like? Well, I think taking those thoughts captive when the devil comes in and tries to get me to focus on the negative. I've got to spend 2400 bucks to get a spark plug removed from my car. It was frozen in the engine, right, in the cylinder, in the spark plug cylinder. They couldn't get it out. They did all their little tricks, soaked it in things, I don't know, kept it there days, removed some parts so they could get better access in the end. They just had to go for it and try to remove that plug. It came out and took the threads along with it. Now a new plug can't go in. That cylinder now is worthless in my engine. The gas goes in. Or if, it, if I tried to run it, right, the gas would go in. No fire would ignite. No power would come forward. I have a six-cylinder vehicle. Only five of them work now. It's going to cost 2400 bucks to get that cylinder rethread so we can put another spark plug in there. 2400 bucks. Satan definitely wants me to focus on that instead of all the other things I've got to be thankful for, right? Satan's always got something we can focus on. So instead of being thinking about how i got to spend all that money on my car, I need to focus on all the great things I've, I have to be grateful for. Look at all that God has given me. And I focus on that, even though I could spend tonight awake, worried about the future, worried about what's, what's it going to do to my finances to come up with that $2,400, the sacrifices I'm going to have to make in order to pay that off. I could spend a night worrying about that. And if I did, I'd be more like someone who doesn't trust in God, someone who doesn't believe in God. But God exists. He's out there. He knows what I'm going through. I don't have to worry. He knows what I need. He'll provide for me. If I believe that, tonight will be a lot different. If I resist the devil, remind myself to trust in the Lord, my whole life will be different. I want the devil gone. So tonight, that's definitely what I'm going to be working on. Time and time again, as those thoughts come into my head. Oh no, what am I going to do? Every time I'm trying to take those thoughts captive, I can trust in God. I don't need to worry. He's got it. That's what it looks like to resist the devil. Or... When I think of all the things that I condemn myself more for, oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? I looked like a fool. Oh, I was. That's so embarrassing. Oh dear. <laughs> why do I? Why do I choose that? Why did I make that choice? Why did I partake in that sin? Ah, oh, condemn myself. I'm such a, a fool. Resisting the devil looks like taking those thoughts captive and reminding myself every time that Satan tries to condemn me. Every time, instead, of remembering his grace. But he gives more grace. Oh, thank God. Thank God that God forgives me. Thank God that that sin is washed away. Thank God that that foolishness will be forgotten for an eternity because of the work of Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. I love what James says here. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. You know, uh, we went on a men's retreat, and one of the guys, Dan Henderson, he was talking about how, you know, psychologically you can actually retrain your brain, you know, all those, your brain is constantly changes, changing all those pathways in your brain are changing. The more those pathways are, are traveled down, the more we think the same. It's like a vicious cycle. The more we think the same, the more we think the same. So the answer is to take every thought captive, to retrain our brain, right? Retrain our brain to be resistant of the devil, but instead dwelling on God's grace. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want to take those thoughts captive. I want to have new pathways in my brain. Verse 8, James says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. There's definitely something called the joy of the Lord. Uh, just I felt like as I was talking about resisting the devil, I mean, I just so much joy comes to me when I start thinking about what it looks like to be free from Satan and to be in God's spirit. It's not that uh, we can't experience joy here, but what he's talking about is the sin, the sin that's causing us to quarrel, the friendship with the world. That should be a problem for us if we're double-minded, right? He says, you double-minded. You're the ones who should be wretched, mourn, and weep. And so when we find ourselves with friendship of the world, with the desires of the world, rather than the desires of God, when we're more concerned about how we're going to acquire and attain and achieve than how we're going to sacrifice and serve, I mean, that, that should be a problem for us. We should mourn and weep. We should be broken at that sin. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The answer to true, you know, when the desire that we have in us to attain and acquire and have more things, there's a, it's a shadow of a godly desire. The godly desire is to be exalted in the Lord. When God exalts us, we'll have all we'll ever need and more. That's the answer to true riches, right? If we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt us. That's what we want. We want the Lord to exalt us. We want the true riches that will never rust or fade away. And so as we think about how we're friends with the world, and think about how we need to cleanse us, we should be mourning for that for sure. The answer to true joy is to humble ourselves before the Lord and receive what he has for us. So that's James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. I love reading God's word. Hope it was a blessing to you like it was to me. And next week we'll finish up James chapter 4 and maybe even get into James chapter 5.